Welcome back to The Rebuild. My name is Peter Moses. I am not Jordan Zerm. Sorry to leave you guys hanging the last couple weeks. Had some life stuff happen. I got married. I got a sinus infection. But I am back and I am ready to talk about the super sad Cleveland Brownies. Nice conversation today with Meredith Kane. Stick around after and I will read your reviews. If you put a review on The Rebuild, I will read it. I'm not afraid. Get ready for the hate after our nice conversation. Without further ado, let's talk about these sad, sad Cleveland Browns. Oh, I think there was actually just an illegal shift penalty on the Browns while this intro happened. And one more thing, there is one F-bomb in this podcast. Hope that's not a problem. It's just like an Avengers movie. It's one well-placed F-bomb. All right, enjoy. All right, hello, and welcome back to The Rebuild. I am Peter Moses, and I am talking to MK on Sports, Meredith Kane. The Browns lose a 1,000 to nothing to the New England Patriots. Okay, it wasn't that bad. Um, it wasn't nearly as bad as the loss to the 49ers. At least they got a, a touchdown in this one. So I, I don't know that I would say it was a thousand to nothing. Maybe more like 595 to nothing. We are a kicking team first. We always put our best foot forward and our... It's actually our two feet. It's... Our rookie, punter and kicker, the best things going on about the Cleveland Browns right I mean, now. Who's with me? It's the dynamic duo, the Scottish Hammer and uh, the Shorty McShort Short out of, I don't know where we drafted him from. I don't know. Fifth Oklahoma. Round pick. Oh, Oklahoma. Yeah. The first time I saw Austin Seibert, I was shocked at how short he was uh, because the first day, um, I want to see, I saw him at, I think I saw him at like OTAs or something like that, where there were no uh there were no fans allowed at OTA like the fans are only allowed during training camp and so this kid was like walking across the field and i was like did somebody's like son get a jersey and <laughs> oh oh that's austin cybert i'm 52 and i feel like i'm taller than he is well i'll tell you this meredith every every player on the browns is somebody's son so you were that's right that's true that's true don't know if uh the mama and papa cybert were there but uh i was uh compared to the rest of the team i was i was shocked at uh at how short he looked but yeah, so we got the Scottish Hammer and uh, Shorty McShort Short, the dynamic duo. And that's about it. That's about everything good happening with the Cleveland Browns right now. They lose 27-13 to to the New England Patriots in Foxborough. Um, three turnovers on three consecutive snaps in the first quarter. Um, and kind of like how this whole season has been. Other than that, they really played him even. Um, so, well, here's the the part that I got very, very frustrated with going into this game is just the and I and I don't want to be the negative Browns fan, the negative Browns media person, the person that's always dogging on the Browns. But I was getting a little overwhelmed with all of the people trying to do the mental gymnastics into convincing themselves the Browns could win this game, like. The Patriots are, you know, 7-0 and going into this for a reason or 6-0, and whatever it was. But they're undefeated for a reason. And you hear the, uh, well, the Patriots always have one game they're not supposed to lose and they wind up losing it. And, you know, if the Browns do this, if the Browns do that. And it was just so much. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, 
have you been watching the Patriots this year? Like, if, if the Patriots are going to lose a game, I I would not be surprised if they went 16-0, and but if they were to lose the game, it w- lose a game this season, it wasn't going to be to the Browns. And just, like, the oh. mental gymnastics that people were going through to try and convince themselves that it was absolutely possible was just mind-boggling to me. And I'm like, do you watch football? Because I do. And the Patriots were not going to lose to the Browns today. Definitely, if you had a narrative in your mind about how they were going to win it did not include odell beckham just dropping balls like he's braylon edwards um you know jarvis landry (laughs) getting hurt which is also not great brutal but Um, i will say this and i did tweet it because i saw it in the uh, fumbling nick chubb fumbling not once but twice yeah that was carries that was the most uncharacteristic thing that i've seen like outside of OBJ dropping balls outside of Jarvis getting hurt, you know, outside of everything else that happened. I think Nick Chubb fumbling twice was the most uncharacteristic thing that I've seen from this Browns team today. Um, And the only thing that could have been more uncharacteristic is uh, Austin Seibert missing field goals. Yay, kickers. Yeah, killing it. Um, Still, still, still perfect. 10 for 10 this year. Um, I, I don't know. Part of me is like, I don't know if this is if everything is as bad as we feel like it is. I left the uh, the Browns landscape for the last couple of weeks. Um, I got married. I went on a mini moon. I got sick. Um, I know Brittany Mollis was going to Wally Pip you last last week or the week before listen, when we did our last podcast. Um, I get it. And she probably should have, to be honest. Like, I just uh, if she, she could do it again anytime. But I kind of like <laughs> fell out of the the day to day for a little bit. And coming back into it is like walking back into a burning house. And we're going to talk about, obviously, Freddie Kitchens and our penalties and the coaching staff. But I, I, part of me is just like my first immediate reaction is everything cannot be this on fire, like, all the time. It's just too exhausting to kind of work ourselves up into a lather if, like, honestly, I know we got blown out in a couple games, but a few of them were close. And if we're three and... Five, you know, it's it's just uh, or three and four. It's just a different a different feeling to this whole thing because we all still know the back end of our schedule is really, really, really light. So I just don't I just don't know if it's as bad. I know this is like the most insane thing to say after this loss that was embarrassing and infuriating. And part of this brown season where you're beginning to start to like question why you do this every week, because I know. Like, I've been doing this now for my for my whole life, so, like, there's kind of these stages of Brown's grief, where at first you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Pardon my, my French. Like, why am I doing this? Why do Mark I do this every explicit. week? Market um, market explicit for the people who don't like cussing. I will say, I will apologize for the F-bomb at the beginning of this pod, but I will, like, uh, <laughs> like, it, it, and then the next phase is, like, because the next phase is, like, I should stop. I should take a week off. I should just, like, see if they do better if I don't, like, if I'm not watching, maybe they play better, and then maybe we're all in some kind of, like, weird, like, um, semi, like, emotionally abusive agreement where I don't watch them because I know that they'll thrive without me, Um, and then it just kind of goes down the rabbit hole from there, and the frustrating thing is we just have all of, all of the pieces, but, like, if you believe in Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey's opinion at all, then you just have to provide them with more leniency than they deserve because they don't carry the history that we carry of like 30 years of pain and suffering. And I think that also extends to how the media treats this 
uh, team. Are oh, you going to take I mean, shots here? Remember, I'm, I'm in the I'm in the Browns media, so tread lightly. Oh, I please, I'll say anything to your face. Don't worry at all. I'm, <laughs> I'll come fight you, Peter. I'm, I'm happy to do it. No, listen, but I think the media has uh, trauma from covering this team as well because you know the way that you become. Oh, my inaugural season w- uh, with the Browns was 0 and 16. It was Deshaun Kaiser, 0-16, was my very first season covering the Browns. You don't become Tony and Mary Kay by covering the New England Patriots, I'll tell you that. So, uh, well, here's what it comes down to, and I think one of the reasons why that it it feels like everything is so on fire and everyone's so angry and upset and just emotionally charged right now, both fans and players and coaches and everything, is that you, you hire Todd Munkin, who is this prolific offensive coordinator. You've got generational talent like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. on on the team. You've seen what Nick Chubb can do. You've seen what Baker Mayfield can do. So I think the fact of the matter is we're looking at this offensive coordinator and this offense and saying there's too much talent here for them to be playing like this. And I think that's why it's so angering and so frustrating for both the Browns fans and for the the people on the team, for the guys on the team, because they're looking at this and saying we should be, you know, OBJ shouldn't be dropping these passes. We shouldn't be getting OPIs on every big play. Like, it's just, it's a frustrating thing. And I think especially after how disappointing the 49ers loss was, it was just, I think it's a culmination, especially uh, coming out of the bye week. You should have had two weeks to prepare for this. And Freddie Kitchens came in looking completely unprepared. So I think there's a lot of anger directed towards Freddie Kitchens. There's a lot of disappointment directed towards um, OBJ and Baker and Nick Chubb, because those are, you know, those are guys that you can never be mad at really. But, you know, it's just, I think it's a lot of negative emotions all culminating at once. And I think that's why after you kind of took some time off and you're coming back to it and you're like, why is everything on fire? Like, that's it. Like, that's why everything is on fire. Okay. But then, so we're going to fire Freddie Kitchens. Like everyone, so you think we should fire Freddie Kitchens? Like you think no. if we go, um, if, we, th- if we go six and ten, do you think Freddie Kitchen gets fired? I mean, I I think that Freddie is over his head. I think that if the Haslam's fired Freddie Kitchens either at the end of this season or during this season, I think that it's going to bring up too much of the uh, fun and dysfunctional Browns of the past, where you have Hugh Jackson going zero and sixteen, and then being brought back another year, and then just the amount of coaches and quarterbacks this team has gone through since nineteen ninety nine. I think the Haslam's are trying to get away from that. I think that uh, John Dorsey is also trying to look smart because I think that's one of the things that John Dorsey hates is he hates looking like a fool. So if he's coming in and saying Freddie Kitchens is our coach and this is what we've got. Like he's going to try to make this better somehow, because I think he would rather figure out the problems than fire Freddie and move on because that's just kind of what that's what the Browns have been doing in the past constantly is just fire, 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 fire. And I don't think they want to do that anymore. And and for those reasons, I think that's why they're not going to fire Freddie. Although to those words, like if you, we've played out that logic, like I agree with you. I think it's like, when you when you bring up history, when you bring up everything that's going wrong and how bad, yeah, it you works. don't want to be same old Browns. Like that's what they're okay. trying to avoid. So if that's the case, then you have to be able to not react in the moment. Like he should be fired. Like there there is a responsibility in some capacity to see the forest amongst the trees for how 
awful, and I really want to reiterate how awful the coaching has been. The penalties are unbelievable. The offense looks super, super, super disjointed. And if, like, and 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 if you think Freddie Kitchens deserves a year, then it sucks, but you better figure out how to diagnose this problem and see if they get into a flow. And I also think they're going to get into a flow because no one has won a game after they play Denver next week. Well, also when it comes down to penalties, um, I mean, obviously some of it has to do with coaching, but I think a lot of it is just on the players being undisciplined. And that's a frustrating thing to say as well. When you have people who are not rookies, like you've got guys like Miles Garrett, who's not a rookie, you know, OBJ, not a rookie, Jarvis Landry, not a rookie, Baker Mayfield, not technically not a rookie. And they're just making these dumb ticky tacky mental errors. And a lot of that comes down to the players. Um, And I was uh, talking to a colleague earlier today who, you know, was a former NFL player. And I asked him, you know, what it takes to have less penalties. And he said, you just have to be more disciplined. He's like, you just can't play penalties. You can't be like those illegal shift penalties. There were a few of them today. And that's what I rallied against in week one, that those are the most frustrating penalties to see because it's just being out of formation and not knowing what's going on. And you should, you should know the play and you should know where you should be. And that's why I get so angry at illegal shift penalties. So, I mean, you can blame Freddie for a lot of things, but on the field, it's the players that have to be focused and know what they're doing. All right, guys, we're going to take a second away from this super sad Browns game to let you know about Harry's razors. Harry's razors, um, they're no gimmick. They're sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I have a beard, and I still use Harry's razors to keep my neck and my cheeks very clean. And you can do the same for either your neck, cheeks, or your whole face by going to harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 a blade. The blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. Listeners to The Rebuild can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to start shaving better today. The holiday rush is coming. And if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. How do you keep track of all the orders? How do you decide on which shipping carrier to use? Or how do you know that you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered on time for the holidays. No matter what you're selling, whether it's Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. It makes it really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. You can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. And they even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for the large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation handle it all with ease. 
Just use the offer code BLUE and get a 60-day free trial. That's B-L-U-E for two months of free, no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation, make ship happen. Yeah, the Browns are two and five, but probably lost to themselves three times. At least. Um, They (laughs) lost to themselves against the Titans. They lost to themselves against the Rams. Actually, probably, and they've lost to themselves against the Seahawks. Like, those are three games that they really shot themselves in the foot. And also, okay, I'm sorry that I'm being a little bit of an optimist, even though I am... That game was emotionally taxing and sent me into a little bit of hysterics. But, like, as you just described, they're also a young team. You're allowed to also be – they are generally a very, very young team. Their defense is playing pretty well, and their offense is still merging together. And part of that young team is also their really young head coach. And I know that it's not – like, that it is very contrarian to kind of all lump them in together, but, like – you know, those are three games that they beat themselves. If one of those games they get over the hump or, like, you know, take that next step or have a bit of a learning experience or how to figure out how to balance these expectations or kind of realign themselves now that everyone's seen tape on them, like, then we're three and four. And, like, it's just – it's such a game of inches, and I feel like there is – there has to be, like, some level of, I don't know, just, like, ability to breathe I don't know. I feel like you can't really like blame his age, though, because if you look at, you know, Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay, they are also Freddie's age or younger and they're killing it in the NFL right now. So, I mean, it's it's really hard to look at a 42 year old man and say, oh, he's too young to be a head coach when you have a 33 year old Sean McVay who's just he's never called the place. Yeah, period. He's never called the place and he's never run a team. And if John Dorsey thinks just like he thought. My boy Austin Corbett was good, going to be good for what he brought him in to do. Then he'll keep him around, and you definitely have to give him another year. You cannot. I mean, I mean, I guess like what? What is the? If I guess if they go five and eleven, you're like maybe we fire him, but it still just seems like so much upheaval. Like you're like it's just a couple small things. I understand that it's like too many penalties and all that stuff, but at some point, if any of this clicks. Then everyone's like riding. We need like, more games down. like the Ravens game. I think that's really what it comes down to because that was a that was the game that we saw the Browns that everyone had expected. That was the the storyline that everyone wanted to see with you know this amazing defense that the Browns have and this talent on offense and just having everything work. Like there should be more than just one game like that this year so far. But honestly, okay, so if I'm John Dorsey. Uh, I would legitimately go up to Freddie Kitchens tonight and say, if you call a passing play one more time at third and short, your ass is gone. I am so sick of seeing Freddie call passing plays at third and one, third and short when you've got like when you've got inches to go. Like you said, game of inches. You've got inches to go. All you have to do is give the ball to Nick Chubb and you've got a conversion. And instead he has Baker throw and he gets sacked. And it's just like why i don't understand it that's probably one of the things aside from the illegal shift penalties that has just uh, just made me so mad this game well it definitely feels like he's always outsmarting himself like he does one too many moves like the guy he's trying to be too cute and i've said this before on the podcast i don't uh 
I don't know if it was one that I did with you or if I did it with Charlie and Brittany, just other podcasts in the past where I was saying that Freddie is being too cute because the talent is there. And you just have to know how to use it. You need to know how to put them in positions to be successful. Like the one touchdown play that the Browns had today, like there was great protection on Baker and he had a perfect read down the field. That shows that they have the weapons and they have the talent. Freddie just can't keep getting cute, like calling an offside so they don't have to use, uh, or excuse me, a false start so they don't have to burn a penalty. Like just, I don't understand why he's trying to get so cute with all of his play calling. Just... I don't know. It, it, it very upset by it. Very frustrated because I don't understand what's going on. And I think it just maybe it's Freddie realizing he's in over his head and thinking that he can out creative himself, you know, out of this predicament that he's in of being a, a losing coach with one of the most talented teams on paper in the NFL. Well, on paper doesn't mean... Something crappy that rhymes with paper. Well, it, uh, you know, like they said, uh, close only counts in what What was it? Hand grenades and horseshoes? Was that the saying? Yep. And also uh, pin the tail on the donkey. Oh, does it? Does distance count? I, I don't know if I've ever played pin yeah. the tail on the donkey. You remember when you were so a kid you can, and like you, you pin the tail on the donkey? Right, I mean, well. I know the game. I just don't ever remember if I actually legitimately played it. Maybe once, it's but like I don't close, remember. It's the closest to the pin vibe. Also closest to the pin in golf. That counts. counts <laughs> there you go. Too. Um, I Listen, I think... Uh, the other thing that's equally frustrating about Freddie is just I have something and I know I'm not unique to this at all. I'm sure this has been, you know, in a Bill Simmons column like nine years ago. But there is just something about the Madden test when you watch an NFL coach and you watch a replay or you're doing the math in your head about the timeouts. And he's just not really passing that test. Um, anytime he has an opportunity to whether it was, you know, caught like challenging the ball in the Seahawks game or challenge the two challenges challenging like the clearly offensive pass interference that they weren't going to overturn it's just uh you'd really like to see that improve that's what I'll that's what I'll say let's uh let's pick it up there let's pick that up that's uh not great right now it's uh it's bad I would say yeah no Freddie's uh hashtag not great yeah not great not not great at all um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, all right. They play Denver next week. Are we afraid of Denver? I don't know. So I, I noticed this before and I thought it was a little fun factoid. I don't know how it's going to affect the team in any way, shape or form. But, uh, in, in the past, at least, you know, with my few years that I've had with the Browns, they almost always play at one o'clock on Sunday. And when you look at the schedule through the next eight games, they do not have two game like two games consecutive that are played at the same time. Now next week Denver is a 425 game but it's in Denver. So it's a different time zone. So for them I think it's going to feel like 225. I think Denver's in Mountain Time. So yeah, it yeah. so it'll feel like 225 for them. So it's, you know, 425 this week, then 225, then 1 o'clock, then a Thursday night game, then back to a 1 o'clock game and I'm just like I don't know how much that kind of inconsistency in the schedule affects them. Like, I don't, I mean, I, it shouldn't. You would doesn't hope that it doesn't. affect them as much as the penalties. I'll yeah. That. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's very true. But that was one of the things, things that I was looking at. And I'm like, man, that is a, that is a rough 
travel schedule and that is a rough schedule because you want to get into I mean all sports you know whether it's baseball hockey football it's all about you know rhythm and flow and just getting into your groove and I'm looking at the schedule for the Browns thinking it's so it's going to be very hard for them to get into a groove when they're not playing you know every Sunday at one o'clock or they're not playing every Sunday at four o'clock and you know and I I get it that's it's probably not it's probably not as big of a deal as I'm making it out to be it's probably just me putting on the tinfoil hat and looking at the schedule and be like haha look at this schedule it's crazy and i think also makes me a little annoyed too because when the browns have an inconsistent schedule that means my like day-to-day work schedule is also inconsistent like i used to have a very uh consistent work schedule on during football season because the browns just, always played at one o'clock on sunday and now i'm just you being suffer selfish. for your art you know i know i'm just i'm just being like selfish and childish right now and i fully admit it it's uh i i don't i i think that's a big kind of fallacy about like what actually like I don't like like stop having illegal shift penalties. Like yeah, stop, that's a bit stop, that's a big stop deal. Holding. It's Let's a very that, huh? it's a very big deal. I mean they're gonna hold on every play. Like no, they're never gonna stop holding. I think it just depends on what the refs are calling. And then another thing that I was talking about with a colleague earlier today that I thought was really interesting, and he noticed it too, is how many OPIs get called against the Browns. And I don't. I feel like that is one of those calls that. I feel like is one of those rare things. Like you don't really see offensive pass interference penalties getting called that much. And today the Browns got called twice and it's, they've been called a few times earlier in the season. And it always feels like it's on these big plays and these big third down conversions. And, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. gets this, you know, 30, 40 yard catch and up, oh, but it doesn't count because of offensive ca- pass interference. And that just feels like it keeps happening to the Browns. And I don't know because I haven't watched, I, I mean, I do watch, games other than the Browns, but I don't see it as often. And I haven't seen this as often. So that's just another thing where, you know, the illegal shift that's on the Browns completely, but the OPIs, you look at that and uh, you kind of scratch your head a little bit and you kind of raise your eyebrow and say, hmm. Meredith, three words for you. What? Welcome to Cleveland. I mean, I yeah, okay, It's just a different, we're just, it's a different standard. All right. We don't get it fair either way. And no one sympathizes with us. And we just fight it's amongst ourselves. Fair. Okay, just, who's who's being childish now? Okay, we just we just fight amongst ourselves, and then we just drive each other crazy, and then we run people out of town, and we never, and we're just in the perpetual circle, whatever the opposite the circle of life is. We're just like running through the seven layers of hell over and over. And over again. <laughs> I mean, I, just uh, just wading down the river sticks. Basically, I mean, yeah. I feel like Todd Munkin is literally riding in the river stick right now. I mean, <laughs> that poor like, guy. Yeah, it's like I feel like what happens. The narrative of this team is not actually going to depend on them making the playoffs as much as it's just going to depend on if they look better. Because coming off of a bye week in week eight, you would hope that they would look more functional than they did when they had a record-setting number of penalties on the first week. And I they mean, really and honestly, don't. They, they really don't. They could have easily broken that today. They had 18 penalties, I want to say, for 187 yards in the first game. Today, it was only 85 yards, I believe, but it was still 13 penalties. So, I mean, they had 18 penalties week one, 13 today. And with the way they were playing, if that game went into overtime for whatever reason, I guarantee you they probably would have at least matched their week one for, for penalties and, and hit that 18. So, it's just... It's a lot. I mean, some of it's on them. Some of it is on questionable uh, refereeing. But I mean, I think we've seen from around the league, and it's not just the Browns that there there is just a there is a 
an overall ref problem in the NFL. Like it's not just with the Browns and it feels like there's a lot more, like it feels like the Browns are being targeted a lot more this for is why these bad I'm... calls. Like, I, and it definitely feels like that, especially when you're so uh, inside and so saturated with Browns football, it, it, it really does feel like that. But I mean, we've seen, you know, with the saints, with the lions, with, uh, with the Packers, like there's, there's just a lot of horribly questionable calls across the NFL. And that's, that is a problem in and of itself that needs to get fixed. Now, granted, even if it was perfect, I still don't think the Browns would have won today. Uh, and I think that they have a long road ahead of them. They, I mean, I joked around what, which week was it? Week one, week two about how this podcast is supposed to be called the rebuild. And it's talking about the Browns coming, you know, from obscurity to, you know, what we thought they were going to be in the preseason. Are we done rebuilding? And the past seven games has shown us that we're not even close to being done with this rebuild. No, our fact, our line, I feel like, isn't even getting rebuilt. I feel like our line is getting torn down. Yeah, and John Dorsey had some interesting comments about that uh, week before last, where he said that one of the reasons why it's so hard to build an offensive line is that those types of players aren't, like a Joe Thomas is a once in a generation player. Like a Taylor Lewan is, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously they're in the same generation, but you don't get guys like Joe Thomas and Taylor Lewan every single year in the draft. And then a lot. And when you look at the other teams, they're what they're trying to do the most is protect their quarterback. So they're building up their offensive line. So if you have someone, if you have an amazing left tackle, or if you have a great offensive line, you're not going to give them up. And, you know, the Browns would have never traded Joe Thomas in a million years. So that was one of the comments that John Dorsey made week before last when they were talking about trying to beef up the offensive line. And he's saying it's very hard to find offensive linemen because the good ones that are there, the teams aren't going to let go of them because to them protecting the quarterback is the most important thing. So it's it's a struggle. And it's one of those things where you can try to look to the draft. But when you look at, say, like what the Titans did in, what was it, 2016, they drafted Jack Conklin with their first overall pick. And I don't even know if that guy's done anything with the Titans since being drafted to them. So I don't know. I I can't speak to um, to Jack Conklin. I don't know. The pay, that's bad. I mean, is, did Drew, Drew Forbes didn't play today, right? No, like, he was, uh, he, I believe act- he was active. Was he, no, active? he was active. He, yeah, I, I believe he was-, he was activated. Yeah, but he didn't play. I feel like I'm interested to see if he, um, plays in the second half of the season. I feel like whether it's, I mean, I didn't think McCray did a terrible job at left tackle today. Like, the there game, were, there like, were moments of, there were, there were moments where he was doing a really good job blocking and you're kind of looking at that saying, oh my God, it's so much better than Greg Robinson. But then, you know, there were also, you know, Baker got sacked a few times, which is also not great because he hurt his hip, uh, in, uh, in the Seahawks game. So, like, yes, we want, you know, we're, we're trying to find that, that next, you know, great left tackle, but also just whatever you do, Freddie, you gotta make sure that Baker doesn't, you know, take, keep taking him to the chin like that because if if Baker gets hurt the season's done it's over protect your QB protect your mother effing QB I don't really the Patriots are good honestly if we sneak that's into the, the understatement it, yeah, <laughs> great I mean, great uh in-depth analysis there Peter the Patriots are good I think I'm still like if we got our ducks in a row and we snuck into the playoffs like I'm not like we would have a shot you're ho- you're hopeful. I, I like on. the optimism there. Why I, not? What's the what's wrong with like? 
I mean, like, I think listen. when I when I got dragged kicking kicking and screaming into playing the schedule game uh, in the off season, I think I had the Browns going eight and eight. I think that's that's what I had. So I mean, I, I mean, eight, eight and eight is a good year. Eight and eight, Freddie Kitchens keeps his job. So, um, you know, it's better than last year where we were seven, eight, and one. So I, I mean, it's I don't really I don't have a lot of playoff hopes. Uh, I would love to see the Browns in the playoffs, but let's I'm just, not. Let's just I'm have not, hopes for competence. We just want to be competent. Yeah, yeah. It's like see, it's definitely we getting. We want to see less penalties and less turnovers, and we just want to be decent at football. And then we'll all see where we are at the beginning of next year. We'll see like the, the line shaping up. Let's just come on, guys. Trust the rebuild. Trust the rebuild. You can't have it all at once. I mean, we knocked it down. Sashi Brown knocked it all the way down with Hugh Jackson. The two of them, they were the. <laughs> the two-man demolition crew. Sure. And now John Dorsey is picking through the pieces and trying to see what he can find to build things back up. From um, the ashes, a baker will rise. Um, Meredith? Maybe that's else? where we should end it. I, I think, think that's, that's what, it. I, you know what? I just, I can't, uh, I can't come up with anything more uh, deeper than that. And I know more deeper isn't great grammar, but. You know what I mean. Can't come up, can't, I can't come up with anything deeper than comparing Baker to a Phoenix. So I think that's where we should end it. Hell yeah. Meredith Kane. Uh, Peter Moses. Uh, have a good one. Go Browns. Go Browns. On to Denver. All right, guys. Like I said, I will read any review you put on iTunes, no matter how bad it is. So I've got a couple of those for you to finish off the week. From No Logo 76, the title, Good Show, four stars. I like the show, but I heard several inaccuracies, such as Cyber Bad at 1,000. He's been great, but he missed his first extra point. I know that's a minor detail, but I noticed several just in this episode. I'm curious as to whether your crew really understands coverages and play designs, or are you guys just fans? Thanks so much, No Logo 76. Cybert missed an extra point, but he is 10 for 10 on his field goals. So, um, and I guess, I mean, if you, I feel like if you want to hear about coverages, um, this is definitely not the podcast for you. I don't feel like Jordan was talking about coverages either. But hey, thanks for the review. You're awesome, No Logo 76. Um, thank you for the four stars. A four star review from, uh, Bucks Bar says, Jordan Z, please return. Usually great, but the guy and gal filling in for you are awful. They don't know anything. Uh, Bucks Bar, thanks so much for the insight. We'll try to learn some more stuff just for you. Um, Thanks for the comment. And guys, if you leave a comment, I'm going to read it on the pod. Um, Boy, the Browns suck. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye.